0: Hello and welcome my lovelies. Come on in, sit down, relax, absolutely no shoes. This is another week of video game frivolity. Please feel free to follow us on all of your favorite social medias at anothercastleca. Unless your favorite social media is MySpace, we have not yet got our page running yet. I think <laughs> Justin Timberlake hasn't actually. allowed it uh, Do we actually? Good. Justin Timberlake's no, we money went to good work. <laughs> Rodrigo's lying to us on the podcast, he's also lying <laughs> to me. This week, trigger warnings are causing a fuss, publisher contracts that seem quite sus, and imposter thieves are among us. My name is Jordan D'Souza, and the good news is I am joined by... Diego Cocting. And Rodrigo Cocting. But the bad news is, your podcast is in Another Castle, episode 11. Episode 11, gentlemen. I don't know if you guys have any interesting facts about the number 11, but I did find something. The number 11 is the same frontwards and backwards. A palindrome. Mm-hmm. hmm it's, it's, it's also a prime number. Well, see? I think it's the first prime palindrome in the whole uh, number scheme. Unless you start counting from negative numbers, then I guess it'll just never Yeah, end.
1: I think so. I mean, it's the the first two-digit prime number, too, so if if you want to like i guess you could not you could say that any number is a palindrome if it's just one digit because it is the same forwards and backwards so i do think like if you add the qualifier mm-hmm. that has to be two digits i would agree that that 11 is the first uh two digit or prime palindrome it feels cheating to have a palindrome that's only one character Cause yeah. obviously i also be don't know if backwards. it would be like i don't th- i think like if there's like palindrome judges out there they would Call foul on a one digit, one letter palindrome.
2: Yeah, they'd probably be like, no, you can't use
0: palindrome yeah. on a number. <laughs> 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 that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Everyone, mention us at uh, another Castle CA. Let us know the rules of palindromes because mm-hmm. we're just guessing here. We're winging it. Mm-hmm. This isn't a palindrome podcast. This is a video game podcast. Yeah. And the most important thing about video games is playing them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, Diego, tell me this week, what you playing? All right. So, this week, because I had heard news that they're
2: going to be showing footage of the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, Shredder's Revenge at Gamecom. At Gamescom. I decided to go... Spoilers for next week. I decided to pick up a uh, copy of Turtles in Time, and I mm. played that again after a long, long time. Uh, Turtles in Time, which is a beat-em-up game for the Super Nintendo. It's a, it's a game port of the arcade game, which was a staple of Chuck E. Cheese back in the 90s. But... Mm-hmm. But the Super Nintendo game was way better because it featured extra levels and because it had this really cool mechanic where you could throw foot soldiers into the screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember playing this game over and over again with Rodrigo when we were growing up. It was a lot of yeah. fun. Um, I remember the characters I would typically pick were either Leonardo, Donatello. and I think Rodrigo would, would usually pick Raphael and Michelangelo. Mm-hmm. And we uh, yeah, it was great. It was a great time. Just uh, seeing all these baddies that we would typically see on the cartoon or in the movies just show up on the screen and, and we get to battle them. And uh, I know that we played this game so much that I, the music is ingrained in our minds, yeah. along with the many quotes slash titles that you got at the beginning of each level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, to me, it's like going back to this is just, you know, going back to my childhood, great times with Rodrigo. And this game is an absolute masterpiece. But also, it made me kind of realize how different games are nowadays. You know, I I remember it wasn't too long ago that people were complaining about the new Spider-Man Miles Morales game being so short that you could beat it in 18 hours. And uh, by contrast, this Turtles game, you can beat it within an hour, like Mm -hmm. well within an hour, I'd say. And of course, like so much has changed about video games. Like we attribute different levels of values to them now, and a lot of it has happened because uh, game developers have kind of changed our expectations of games. But regardless, uh, this this old game still stands uh, the test of time. I think uh, Turtles in Time is still a gem. I I really excited to see what Dotemu is going to do with this next game that they're relaunching. I know that they also love the Turtles in Time game because when mm-hmm. I see what they're remaking, they're definitely taking a lot of inspiration from this game. Um, they're betting big on some older games, bringing them back. and They're doing a great job with it. So, yeah, I'm excited to see that new one. But for now, if you want to play what is perhaps the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game ever, then look no further than Turtles in time. And it's made by our good friends at Konami, who used to make video our games back in the day. Pachinko <laughs> makers. Pachinko makers right.
0: Konami. Yes, <laughs> that's <laughs> what they, they do make, now. <laughs> I hope they make a Ninja Turtles pachinko based on this specific game. I'm sure they have. Can that's, I, that's can, the
2: only thing that they use their licenses for like we'll just turn them all into pachinko machines can i reveal that i don't know what a pachinko machine is it's basically that um what's this game called in the prices right you know that one plinko? where you plinko yes when you toss like a little like ball or something from and it kind of bounces all the way down and it has to hit like a certain spot there at the bottom so it's kind of like that but it's it's different because so, like the way the the pachinko just plays faster because if you look at somebody playing this game They usually sit in front of it kind of like like any other gambling machine with like a bunch of like a a box full of like little balls. And they're just putting them in super fast, constantly. And they're just dropping down. Oh, like as far as as fast as you would imagine somebody putting coins into
0: uh, a slot machine. The absolute indignation on Rodrigo's face was fantastic.
1: There is Mm -hmm. a business for this. I guess it's like that. That is my confusion. Like it's super
0: popular in Japan. Interesting. 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 It seems weird. Out of all the Price is Right games, I feel like that's probably one of the least interesting because they just drop the thing and then <laughs> Gravity finishes the game for them.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, but be, like t- the amount of tokens that you put into Planko is dependent on how many Price is Right like items you get right beforehand right fair so enough. there is there is an element of randomness at the end but the beginning is dependent on how you know how how often you go to groceries
0: yeah there's an element mm-hmm. of randomness but you mm-hmm. get to you get more randomness based on how well you decided how much fries cost yeah yeah <laughs> so rodrigo obviously this week you're not playing uh your pachinko machines so i want to know what you're playing
1: yeah um I, I don't know what may have caused it. I think Diego couple uh, last week was talking about how he was exploring emulators and he uh, fired that up and we got to revisit some some games that I think are uh, near and dear to my heart and my you know growing up with video games and I got to revisit them. One of them was Diddy Kong Racing, which uh, a friend of mine actually had mentioned to me that he doesn't think it holds up so I was kind of nervous because it's been, I want to say at least like 10 years or more since I played the, the N64 version. Like it was kind of re-released on the 3DS, I want to say, um, but it wasn't exactly the same. And uh, I love it. I love it. Again, it's like the music is also been a big component to it, like the Turtles game that Diego had mentioned. But it's like the driving is, is, is interesting. It's like very similar, I guess, to like kind of Mario Kart in a way. But I do think that there is a kind of a, a different dynamic or, or strategy that you can that you can utilize to 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 maximize your chances of landing in first. Like in this one, items kind of build up. So if you go after a blue balloon, it's a kind of like a turbo boost. If you go after a red one, it's a missile that you can use to attack. But if you collect a consecutive red balloons or consecutive blue balloons, you're powering up the items that you're holding, and so then you can use that for different strategies. Like. Uh, you you do a variety of tracks and then you face an actual boss. If you beat this boss, he does a challenge where you have to collect like silver coins and uh, then still finish the race in first. And so it's like it it it, it manages to bring a lot of original ideas to uh, the the kind of cartoony racing genre while still doing a good game, right? Because I feel like a lot of them feel like ripoffs of Mario Kart or Diddy Kong Racing. Or what they add kind of makes it worse. Whereas like this one I think was really successful in doing that. And then the other thing that I played is uh, a game that Diego and I know as Bust Move. Because that's what it was known as in South America and Japan. But in North America it was called Bust Groove because there was already a Bust Move. I think it's some type of ball-related game, yeah, I want to say. It's Puzzle Bobble.
2: There you go. It's called so that's Exhausting. That's, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, so Bust Groove for our North American listeners. Bust Move for... Uh, our South American and Japanese listeners i guess franco cordero uh yeah <laughs> so and it's it's a it's a rhythm and music based game where obviously you know like if if you've never heard of music it often exists in a counts of 4 and so there's usually like a a button that you have to press on every fourth count so there's like a a series of commands that you press with like the the d pad the control pad like say like left right up blah 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 and then you have to press uh, the the zero or the x the circle or the X on the beat. And then as you advance, like your what they require you to press gets more complicated. And obviously there's uh you have like a power to kind of hurt the opponent that you're dancing against, but you have a dodge to avoid if they throw a power at you. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think a lot of people are super familiar with this game, but it does remind me, I think I've mentioned this before that in Peru there's this thing called Vicio where you go and you like say for for one soul, two soul, which is like our currency you rent uh, a TV, like you go sit. You go to this place, right? you don't take it home, but it's like you go and sit in front of a TV for an hour and you can pick whatever you want to play. And I remember in our hometown, uh, there wasn't like, we Diego and I are from a very small town. And I remember one time he told me, it's like, yo, we went to this VCO that is like in this area where we lived and they have <laughs> this game. And uh, I was like, so in transit, like we went and talked to to your dad and it was like, hey, can you drive us here? and he took us and like we went up the stairs cuz it was like on the second floor kind of sketchy room mm-hmm. of it and like we got to play it and i was as enamored by the experience as diego must have been when he played and he came home and tell to tell me all about it mm-hmm. and i mean to this day we we uh, like right back into it right like i i i there's like whenever you, you finish around and dance well they give you what it's called a fever time and it's like back into it like fever time every single round making it all the way to the end unlocking secret characters along the way i had a blast yeah, fever time great. now is just when when you have the covid
0: and you have to take it yeah, out. COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just like fever <laughs> <on> the, time <laughs> on the icu bed <laughs> also oh i feel like bust a groove is a significantly better name for a game than bust a move i feel like they should have just stuck with that the whole time mm-hmm.
1: is it though but it's like if you there's a lot of songs that call out like bust a move right like it, it's mm-hmm. Like you're dancing oh. i mean bust a groove i don't know maybe it's maybe this is the 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 the, the divide between us that to me bust a, bust a move sounds like the more dance related game i don't understand why it's like a a ball puzzle type of thing <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me
0: this whereas is the, like yeah <laughs> this is the cultural divide between us is busting a cultural divide. Busting a groove. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's fair well allow me to break this cultural divide by telling you what i've been playing this week so I finally got to my fourth and final library game. I played the Pathless, which was made by Annapurna mm-hmm. nice. and it's a game. It's beautiful. It plays well. I like how when the movement is very fluid in that game where you're shooting arrows at these like squares that appear as you move. And then if you hit them, you get like a speed boost. So you're kind of just like zipping zapping, and zapping around this map. Mm-hmm. It's fun, but I I, I lost interest in a little bit, which is kind of how I feel with most library games. I feel like. of these games, I'm just like, this was fine, but this is free, so I don't have to worry about this. But the reason I dropped off is because I was reading a list on the best Bioware games. And, of course, number one was Mass Effect 2. Everyone knows that. But on the list as well was Dragon Age Inquisition, which is a game that I've been trying to play and get into for so long. I literally have started this game maybe four or five times, played an hour, and then it's like, I just don't like how this game plays. I was like, this time, I'm going to get into this game, and I'm going to play this game. So I literally have trophies from this game from 2016, 2018, and now 2021. And I played maybe two hours before I gave up on this game. (laughs) So unfortunately, I feel like I just have to accept that this game is not for me. I'm sure the characters are great. I'm sure everything is lovely. It is just not for me. (laughs) But a game that I did actually play and enjoy this week was I was looking through my stuff and I remembered the instant, I think it's the instant game collection it's called that PlayStation Plus has. Where it's on PS5, there's a bunch of essentially PS4 games that you have for free. Oh, yeah. And I saw the Crash Bandicoot collection. And I was like, mm, this is a game that I've never played. Let me play this game. And I'll never tell you what. Played? I've never played a Crash Bandicoot game. He's That's young. not true. He's a young man. That's not true. So in Uncharted <laughs> 4, there is one level where you play Crash Bandicoot in the game. That is all the Crash Bandicoot that I have played, Rodrigo. Please put that face away. I, need <laughs> I mean, to tell you.
1: you're young, but you're not the young to the point where you couldn't have played a Crash Bandicoot because <laughs> Wendy, our sister, who is like a couple years older than you, has played Crash Bandicoot from Crash Bandicoot 1. So you must have at least caught like two or three in, in your prime <laughs> of video
0: games. I mean, you would definitely think that. You would, however, be incorrect, as I have not played any of these Crash Bandicoot games. There you go. I mean, I'm just saying that you're, you're the one that skipped it, not that the games didn't exist. <laughs> so, while Rodrigo was mad at me for not playing this game prior, <laughs> I played it, and I enjoyed it. But it's very different from modern games, and I had to accept that. That mm-hmm. I'm going to play this level, and I'm going to die a lot 50 to 60 times and but i feel like the feeling of finally beating this level is what these souls born people must finally must be what they're talking about because they finally beat this thing that took them forever to do and this game i'll tell you what i'm no good at it but i'm enjoying it's it. hard it's hard can right. i tell you that i i don't like crash Bandicoot? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's okay as, as you can tell i'm not a huge fan until like three days like ago.
1: in terms of the platformers and i i'm i, I think uh diego will provide uh, a more uh impassioned defense of it because i've seen him run through it but it's just like it's almost like it's very punishing for like what it's testing is your precision of jumping yeah right, right. like there's not a lot of like uh reactivity to it almost it's kind of like you need to land your jump uh-huh. here. like you know it's just like it's a different skills than like a mario or a sonic kind of thing it's more like they, forgiving for sure yeah and so it's like it's that part is never like the fun part for me so <laughs> i i don't think i i enjoy it i kind of enjoy the levels that are like face forward like the ones where you're escaping mm-hmm. oh and that rock's chasing you and you're, you're getting in the end jones vibes
2: oh uh, wait wait till you get are you playing crash bandicoot one yeah i'm playing the first one okay wait till you get to there's this Forward-facing level that you're actually going forward, as opposed to like the rock chasing you, right? So you're, oh yeah, I think sorry, I did you're, that you're way. going that way. But the thing is, you're on a bridge, and no, like you'll just once you get there. Oh my god! Let me know if you're gonna still keep on playing that game because that is a really hard level.
0: Yeah, I just bought a new PS5 controller, and that's probably gonna be. That sounds like a level that would make me have to buy another one because that mm-hmm. one is just, just gonna be smashed yeah. in half. Just remember, it's that bridge. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm. I'm very much not looking forward to this now. So thank you, Diego. You're welcome. <laughs> so uh, Rodrigo has discussed, he wants more games to be like Sonic, I believe was his exact quote. So while mm-hmm. we're looking into more games that feel like Sonic, please take a little time to hear some words from our sponsors. Your podcast is in another castle is brought to you by layered butter. If you love movies, there's one book that you need on your shelf. And that's Layered Butter. Each issue is a deep dive into famous directors like Quentin Tarantino, genres like modern horror, or even famous characters like James Bond. Insightful essays are paired with breathtaking art inspired by the movies to make for the one book every cinephile needs. Head over to layeredbutter.com store and buy your issue today. And we are back. Thank you for joining us, everybody. It's time to get into the news. There is a lot of news this week. I don't know if you guys want to hear it, so here it is. First news item today is a little game called Boyfriend Dungeon. So it was very recently released. It's a dungeon-crawling dating sim where your romantic partners can transform into weapons that you can then use in these dungeons. So very useful. More useful than the Pigeon Dating Simulator. I assume you can't use the pigeons to attack anybody. They probably just like <laughs> shit on people. You. <laughs> so immediately I wonder if any of these weapons are used phallically. That's the first immediate thought that I have, but I assume they probably just transform back into people, because otherwise what's the point? And I don't know, whatever. You, you guys <laughs> play Dungeon, play Boyfriend Dungeon, however you like to play it. Mm-hmm. So the game is being praised for its wide range of queer romance options. However, it has come under a lot of fire recently due to some themes of the game. And some are saying they were not properly warned of this prior to starting the game and they should have probably warned. And some people say that these themes should outright be removed from the game altogether. So when you boot up the game now, you're prompting with a warning that says this game may include references to unwanted advances, stalking and other forms of emotional manipulation. Play with care. On top of that, there are also like encouraging texts you get throughout the game from someone who it just says like mom. So it's like your mom sending you these text messages, saying you all these nice things. And at the beginning of the game, it also gives you the option to opt out of having these messages sent to you. Like if you don't want to have these motherly messages, you can entirely opt out of that and they just don't show up throughout the whole game. So the problem a lot of people are having is they found that the warning at the beginning of the game really isn't sufficient. They thought maybe this was like a background element that might come up every now and then, but it turns out it's like a very major part of this game, and it was marketed more as like a lighthearted dating game. And a lot of people are finding that these themes are very much not what they were hoping to get into. So this prompted a lot of people to say these warnings need to be more explicit in what they say so that they let you know this is a very main pillar of the game or just that the stalking element should be removed altogether, kind of how they remove the mom text messages altogether. Mm -hmm. The developer Kit Fox Games also responded, saying they apologize for any hurt inflicted and will update the game with more accurate content warnings. Uh, This reminds me very recently of a story I read about the game 12 Minutes. It has a lot of surprise depiction of incest and graphic torture scenes of a cop and a pregnant woman. And these events are story beats that you can only realize through playing the game. So these aren't things that you can be warned of prior to. Or you can be warned by them by listening to this podcast where I just told you everything you need to know about 12 Minutes. So through all of this, I turn to you, gentlemen, and I ask you, so I guess I'll start with you, Rodrigo. How should games like this proceed with some of the sensitive subject matter? Should trigger warnings or these contents not only be used in the games, but thoroughly note everything you can kind of expect? Or should gamers maybe wait for reviews to be published before seeing if there might be elements that might disturb them?
1: Yeah, I guess when I think about this, um, it's it's kind of like in parallel to other other forms of media that deal with this kind of thing and so we've seen often when there is like a specific uh genre that that is i guess like you know it's like triggering or something like something like trigger warning we see kind of a backlash to that and then what we kind of see next is like a backlash to the backlash right like people saying that like i don't know like left liberal woke people need like a safe space and um you know like the that they're weak etc and to me, a lot of that kind of has like always bothered me because I think it's it's fair that if like people need um, that c- there, there, there are elements in stories that can trigger uh, real feelings that reflect their personal reality. And I think that's valid and I think that should be respected. So the way that I think about this is that if there are elements in in that story that, that deal with a variety of things, whether it's like, say, sexual assault or like relationships that involve stalking or, you know, like that kind of thing, or I don't know, like maybe even like eating disorders or this kind of thing, I think it's fair to want or require companies to have like trigger warnings. Like, I think that's valid and I think they should be reflective of the the reality of the game that the user is going to experience, right? And I think also like the marketing of a game should not be misleading into thinking that they are going to do one thing and then be surprised by a different thing because I think the most important thing to deal with these kind of issues is provide the user with enough information to make sure that they are making a decision that is safe for them, right? Like that 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 respects their their mental health, their personal, you know, boundaries that they may have. But at the same time, I also think that we have to accept as gamers that not every game is meant for us specifically, right? So once you look at something like the, the the trigger warnings and you see, okay, this deals with something like sexual assault or like, you know, some like aggravated stalking or whatever. And you're like, this is not something that I feel comfortable with. I think it's really okay to remove yourself from that and not that your expectation should be like, well, they should remove that element from this game so that I can still play it. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I understand that maybe like, if you're trying to get into the nuances of that, then you could be like, oh, well, you know, should games include other more like sinister stuff? And maybe that is a conversation that we can have. But I just, I think like from a, a starting point, we need to accept that not all games will be for us. And so that if we are provided with the right information, that we can make those decisions and be accountable to ourselves about like, yeah, like this is not a game that I'm going to enjoy because it involves things that make me feel unsafe. And so like, that's kind of, I guess, where I fall with this, that I do think that it's like trigger warnings and that kind of thing. They are good, but they need to be as uh, encompassing of the experience as possible. Like games should not be misleading with their marketing. Of thinking that you're going to do one thing and then the other but then it's like once you have all that information then if you realize that a game is not for you then you should not play or buy this game right and accept that there are other people who um are capable and able of of navigating like these narrative elements that are not impacted that can still uh enjoy I a an experience that may have that right and i think that's kind of okay for games to develop that and for for like ourselves to remove remove ourselves
0: whenever a game is just not for us i think no for sure i think uh for me i kind of liken it to if a game is rated m for mature it kind of tells you why it's m for mature on the back mm-hmm. i feel like if there was some kind of option in the start menu that kind of said the little trigger warning thing—you click on it, you kind of see what the options are there. So that if people feel like, "Oh, I don't want to be spoiled," I don't want to have these warned for me—you don't have to check the section. But mm-hmm. I do think it's it's kind of a quick solution to allow people to see what is coming up for them. The problem is that if they're kind of excited for that day one game playing and they buy the game and then they see the trigger warnings and it's a bunch of stuff that they don't want to experience, then they they literally just bought a game brand new and then had to dive into all these things. So I I guess there's no one elo- eloquent solution to it, but I feel like having some section to kind of warn people what they're kind of getting into would be a little more beneficial.
1: I think it's kind of similar to like, uh, like when you have to ask for ingredients, like if you have like an allergy situation Mm -hmm. and that that is something that is available to you, like I think maybe we just need to like consoles and and, and PCs and Steam and like all these big rings. They just need to make that an option that is available to a user to look at before they decide whether they want to purchase a game, right? Like it's as easy as, having it on your website and just being like, yeah, if you want to find out like, you know, any information about that, you can just head over and make that choice there.
0: Or even just like on the digital storefront, they can even just have a quick option that does that. So I guess, Diego, I turn to you. These, these trigger warnings, do you think maybe they're getting too spoilery with the game or maybe we don't really care about how people feel about spoilers because we'd rather people feel comfortable with what they're trying to play?
2: Yeah, definitely. The comfortable part is priority there. I think what Rodrigo said is true that, you know, not all games are for everybody, right? But also you have to give people warnings of stuff like that because I, I do like I uh, I guess men, we get to live easier lives. We often take for granted our feeling of security in society. And because of that, you know, we take storylines like this kinda like fiction. And fiction is fiction is a welcome thing in video games for us, right? But to other people it's probably gonna be very traumatizing. So I think it is important that you give proper warning because like these plot lines that, you know, like the stalker may seem like, Oh, like a funny thing to anybody else, but it can be a real issue for somebody out there. Right. So I know that what seems to have happened with this company is that the producers just heavily miscalculated the effectiveness of that warning that they were initially giving. Mm -hmm. And the one good thing that I can say about this is that they seem to have reacted quite uh, fast as to when they saw this controversy start start to happen. I saw that Kid Fox Games, um, they they tweeted out uh, saying that they were definitely reviewing um, everybody's feedback and they were going to address it and there was going to be a change within the game uh, in the next week. And, you know, it's I, I get I, I do see this as a mistake. From this developer i i don't have enough information from this developer to judge judge them as harshly as i do with uh, other big AAA studios i mean i could go into it and start saying it's like oh they just have to hire more diversely and you know and i don't know how big the studio is i don't know if they can hire more people or not and it may not even be a, a diversity thing it may be like not enough people played it and not enough people playing it could mean that you know, if somebody else, somebody played it and had seen this, they could have pointed it out to them and told them like, no, we're going to have we're going to get really bad feedback with this storyline. Right. So I can't judge this studio as harshly as I would uh, a triple A studio. But I do like that they immediately addressed it. Uh, they said that there's there's going to be some changes. And I think that's the most important part here. Right. It's like it's like everybody makes mistakes. But the most important thing is how a person or a company is willing to address it as opposed to burying it or simply ignoring it, right? Which is way
0: worse. For yeah. sure. I think it's also important in a game like this, where it's a dating simulator where people do feel very emotionally attached to these characters and to these events. It's not just like mm-hmm. some mindless shooter where you're shooting through and then trigger warnings wouldn't be as effective. I think it's. It's a more it's an audience that's more in tune and more sensitive to these kind of topics. So I, I do yeah. think that they should have had more people in there discussing this to see if this would be an efficient way to let people know the content of the game or not. Whew. OK, moving on to another story that also is not great. So lovely. <laughs> so this one is about indie developers and the exploitive nature of some of the and contracts that they get. So recently, an indie developer called Jake Friend posted a Twitter thread discussing the exploitive nature of most video game contracts and how often securing financial backing for their indie games could actually be too good to be true, and in a lot of cases they find it entirely is. So he noted that he recently turned down a half a million dollar investment into his game Scrabdackle? (laughs) Scrabdackle. Which has raised already over $44,000 through crowdfunding. Uh, He noted that once he read through the contract's terms, he could potentially be racked with debt and outright lose the rights to his game. He said that he wasn't under an NDA contract, so luckily we have all the stuff that they were gonna do to him. So some of the terms of the contract included an eventual 50-50 split of the profits of the game, but only after the game had sold about 24,000 copies, and he would receive no revenue from the game before that. Even after that, he would have to wait 30 days after the end of the next quarter, before essentially reaching those sales numbers and getting any money, And on top of that, there could be another month delay past that before he could even start getting paid. So if you believe that there was a discrepancy in the pay that he's receiving, he would also have to pay for an auditor. And if they did find a discrepancy, the only punishment to the publisher would be paying back what he was owed and nothing more. So the the auditor just has to come right out of his pocket. Mm -hmm. Should there be a disagreement on the direction of the game between the person making it and the publisher, the publisher would then overrule him, bring in a third party developer to make the change, and the person making the game would also incur these expenses as well, not the publisher. The most egregious part that they noted was the publisher stated that if they found that Jake Friend was in breach of the contract, that Jake Friend would lose all rights to their game, receive no revenue for it, have to pay back all the money they were given, and they would still have to finish the game at their own expense so that the game would be eventually released. So these are obviously awful terms that no one would think to agree to, but Jake Friend did note that a lot of indie developers feel like they do need to sign these contracts or their games essentially won't get made. They're willing to kind of take the loss at the beginning and then hope that they can recoup that later. Uh, A lot of developers then contacted him after he put out these tweets and they were all saying like, oh, based on this term, these terminology, we know exactly who you're talking about, but He kept saying that they kept listing different publishers because that's how widespread the problem is, is that it's not one publisher doing all this crappy shit. It's a bunch of them, and they all have different things like this. So, Diego, I'll start with you. This seems very nefarious and predatory, but is there anything to the to the fact that maybe the publisher is the one who's essentially funding this game? So they're the one putting up the capital. So they're the one seen as taking the risk. Do you think... This is essentially just greedy investors being greedy investors or they need to protect uh, essentially the the investment that they're trying to make into this game.
2: Um, Yeah, it's like you say that they're taking the risk, but what you read doesn't seem like they're taking any sort of risk there at all. I'm trying to find a way to phrase it so that
1: it's I know it's
2: just and it's true, right? That's the thing, because like these companies, like everybody is always looking out for their bottom line and big companies are always going to take as much advantage as they can as possible. Right. It's almost like they have no moral code. If they go unregulated, you'll never see them stop abusing the little guy. And obviously, the way they they circumvent the law is that they hire lawyers who have even less of a moral compass than they do. And these lawyers are often like well-educated people that have no problem doctoring a contract in order to get their way. That's why we end up seeing these contracts for these um, indie publishers. It's kind of sad to see that this is apparently the norm for uh, the publishing for you know, publishing games. I understand that uh, as a developer, you got to believe in your product and be able to take a certain risk. But I also think that publisher, like if a publisher approaches you, I would assume that they also see some potential there and they should likewise take an equal amount of risk. So it's a good thing that this developer was able to thoroughly read that contract and have enough discretion to reject the offer that they clearly did not benefit him. But Mm. I think that these publishers get away with that more often than not. And I'm sure that there's a lot of indie developers that get an offer like this and they see it as their one and only shot. So they see no other option and they just they're forced to take it. And eventually they end up in this game development hell that might end up being worse than just being an employee at one of these companies. So it's it's because of these stories that I kind of do see the value of these crowdfunding Kickstarter websites that sometimes, you know, if you can manage to get enough money, you can just go ahead and publish your own game, which I think is great. You don't have to deal with these publishers. But as I said, if this is the culture if this is the norm from these publishers, I you know, it's it just seems terrible. And it seems like, uh, you know, you're just leading any developers to quit the, you know, game developing in general. And just find something else if you're just going to be abusing them like that, you know. And as I said before, it's, it's not really them taking a risk. If you want to take a risk, take an equal risk. Like if I'm a creator and I believe in my product, good, I'll take that risk for sure. But if you come, you approach me with publishing because you want to have a, you know, a piece of the pie, then take an equal risk with me. That's how it is. I, I feel that's fair. And it's, I feel like it should be the culture in almost pretty much in everything, especially video games.
0: It's not as big of an event as uh, as kind of the video game reckoning that we've had recently with a lot of shitty studios. But I do hope that yeah. this this Twitter thread does kind of bring up some kind of conversation about how these indie developers are being treated. It also just reminded me of the movie Free Guy, where there were essentially they made this game where you barely you don't even really play it. You just watch these characters interact and eventually they grow and then you're, you're just essentially watching this. And then that company was bought and then they took well, Spoilers for Free Guy. If anyone wants to watch Free Guy, uh, spoilers (laughs) for Free Guy. And then they take that uh, that code essentially for that game, and then they make it the NPCs of the game that they're actually making this big open world game. So then that was like a breach of their contract. So it it reminded me of another way of how publishers kind of take what the creative types are making and then mold it to whatever they feel like is going to make them the money essentially. Like that. So Rodrigo, I ask you. Uh why don't you like Ryan Reynolds and when will you watch Free Guy?
1: <laughs> uh never and I don't know it's just I I think he's funny and likable but I don't like how he thinks he's funny and likable right it's like <laughs> I don't know it's just I, I find him insufferable in most uh appearances Okay well then and tell it's me funny like, like to- in his movie he's enjoyable but mm-hmm. I I think like in on his his like online persona is
0: insufferable and then I can't not see that. Well, to, to make you feel better, tell me about indie games and how they're being, uh, <laughs> <exploits>. <laughs> exploited, exploited.
2: <laughs> yeah. Much better but I mean, topic. I
0: don't know.
1: It, it's tricky. I agree with everything that Diego said. I do think that like, it made me think a lot about like the music industry and something like Spotify, where I think like artists make like sense for a thousand plays, right? Mm-hmm. Like if some, if you listen to a song a thousand times, like the artists that you like literally makes sense. And, i'm a big fan of this canadian band called uh stars and uh the lead the male lead singer because they have two lead singers uh tor campbell he's very uh vocal about how shitty something like spotify is to artists and you know like they've tried to find ways to connect directly with their with their consumer with their listener so that they can kind of avoid like um like being able to get that direct support and not be exploited by third third parties right and they've tried patreon and so on and it also made me think a lot about like uh OnlyFans, which is a website that now is mostly I guess for adult sex workers like, you know, pornography. I remember once like a, a year ago maybe when kind of I guess I'm, I I want to say like in this pandemic OnlyFans has exploded a lot more uh than it, it had before. Um I was having this conversation with with one of my friends and I was talking that it's like two years, three years earlier I would have thought it was ridiculous that anyone would pay for pornography because it's so widely available on the internet, right? And he was making the argument that it's like nothing is ultimately free. Like, even when you are going to, like, an aggregator of pornography, like Pornhub or whatever. I'm sorry this is such a pornography-specific reference, but I I have a point (laughs) at the end. That that somebody is paying. Somebody is paying, right? Like, so, if you're not paying on the internet, like, somebody's getting exploited in that process because the creation of art is never free. And so, he was making, like, when you go to something like OnlyFans, you are paying the sex worker directly. And you're helping them avoid the rest of the the shitty you know like process of it and so that like kind of clicked something on me and i was like well obviously this is the better way to do it like a subscription payment where you're directly supporting the person and and so on and so to take that back to video games like i also think like we need to find ways to create a situation where we can help like we the gamer can help the, the the developers like the the people who have the original ideas and want to present um like this game directly or more efficiently than going through like this kind of complicated process that that they have now where it's like you know we've heard about like the the big consoles being shitty to indie developers now like publishers being it's like they have to navigate this gauntlet to put out a game that we really enjoy and we play and then we kind of forget about it right and it's kind of like they it's just really like awful i think Mm -hmm. and I I don't know what that business model is like I was thinking it's like, like back again to the music example like what could any artist do really like they just have to agree to be on Spotify because that's the industry right and then I was thinking how powerful K-pop is and if K-pop was like fuck you Spotify you have too much power over this like we're going to create our own K-Spotify kind of situation then, like, you know, they they could divide those earnings between the, the studios. I mean, there's other complications in that thing where K pop is almost as exploitive, I think, uh, as anything else. But, you know, like, I'm saying that maybe that's the solution that like indie developers need to create their own publishing studio that will then take care of the new developers that come in and hopefully be better than these other monsters. Right? Because I do think that there is a degree of risk that you're taking in publishing in indie games. But if you're getting all the reward and taking none of the risk, then that is like an unfair system. It's like unjust, right? Like I can't, like I can't support that. And so I do think that it's like when we see games like I don't know, like Among Us or like Fall Guys or whatever, like these these games that kind of come out of nowhere and, and make a big buck. Like maybe it's time to reinvest into a system so that you can help like the smaller, like indie developers, kind of avoid this like nefarious sinister situation that we have going on i think like as a gamer also find ways to to invest directly into the people that are doing this and like a lot of that is going to like kickstarter and supporting games that you like or maybe these people have a patreon or you know like get involved in 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 what you enjoy and find out a little bit more about how you can help them directly right
0: support your indie developers support your sex workers yeah, yeah that's for sure. What we're for on this podcast. For sure. Listen,
1: I mean, a year ago I would have had some shame talking about OnlyFans, but I think this is the future. I mean, you know what? Like then they kind of almost kicked them off an I don't know if You guys knew this, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they reversed were first going to yeah. kick off the sex workers, and now they've walked it back because their page is just sex workers. I don't know what they think is happening on OnlyFans. Who who is going to go once they kick off the sex workers to OnlyFans? Going to go Tell get them. your recipes on OnlyFans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe the indie developers now go on IndieFans there you go Port the games directly through there
1: there you go, there you go. is that a like lot?
0: is that a new one you've created indie fans because
1: I like that title yeah mm. indie fans that's exactly what you should be doing <laughs> indie fans I like that yeah you oh can support God. the games Start also that. you can take a look at my ass once you <laughs> for the right price perfect two for one Diego things.
0: Diego please cut this part out this is a million multi-million dollar industry that we've just created mm-hmm. <laughs> Another game that has made multi-multi-multi-millions of dollars is Fortnite. And another game that has also done, hmm, has done okay for itself, is Among Us. And that connects the two because Fortnite, which has ripped off PUBG to make Fortnite successful, is now ripping off Among Us. So, in what can be described as only incredibly on-brand, Fortnite has taken the incredibly popular Among Us and has essentially distilled that whole game into a game mode within Fortnite. So, essentially, it's going to be called Imposters, And what happens is Imposters pits a maximum of 10 players against one another as they attempt to figure out who among them are sabotaging the whole group. And they also said who among them are sabotaging the group in the write-up for the description <laughs> of this, which is incredible. So, normal competitors, known as agents, work together to complete a series of tasks across a large map, while the titular Impostors do whatever they can to hinder the group's progress. The agents then decide periodically who to vote out if they believe that they are the imposter, or they could essentially finish all of the tasks to win the game. If that sounds like Among Us to you, that's because I basically just described Among Us. So the Among Us developers have also commented and did note that they didn't patent the mechanics, so it's not like this is like a a lawsuit or anything that they're going to be trying to go for. They're mostly just mad that they weren't. Uh, they didn't have this essentially discussed with them so they can kind of collaborate on it. It just seemed like Fortnite took the idea and said, we're just going to make a different version of this, which is, again, on brand for how Fortnite made all of their damn money. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you guys remember the nemesis system in Shadow of Mordor. It was essentially like a tier of bad guys who you would be fighting. And these guys would have different abilities and different ways that you could attack them. And if they killed you, they would then remember you the next time you try to fight them and the way they killed you would then like kind of stack and there'd be different ways that you couldn't fight them anymore like sometimes there would be a guy who was afraid of fire and then if he kills you he's now like invulnerable to fire and such like that it was a really really cool
1: days of the future past (laughs) x-men yeah killed and getting better
0: exactly it was it was very very cool but the reason you don't see it anymore is because they patented this system so now really? it's only going to be in these shadow games and they've only made two of them and the second one kind of bit the dust at the end. So we're probably never going to see this again. It feels a little bit like essentially if first person shooters wanted to patent that system. They never would have evolved to this point. So I guess I'll turn to you guys. Does this Rodrigo, does this seem like uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery or are they really just very lazily ripping off this game to make a quick buck? Oh, they're being very lazy
1: about the ripoff um the 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 most egregious of them have you seen the map the map comparison (laughs) between (laughs) among us in this like i mean it's it's grotesque i i I saw the among us developer talking about how they didn't patent this mechanic because overall they think that conceptually that's bad for for the gaming industry right for sure and i think that's fair like the idea i mean even they didn't come up with the idea of like a traitor in the mi- in, in the midst of of the players right like it's based on concepts like mafia or like the the board game werewolf and so on and i i respect that but i do think that it's like you it's it's a lot like the tech giants right now, where they either buy the smaller thing or like rip off the the smaller thing until they disappear. Right, like there's no idea of like a fair kind of uh, economic situation where it's like supply and demand will meet at the right place, and you know like it, if as long as there's no monopolies, like uh, the consumer will be able to make choices that are best for them. And just seeing this, it's like obviously Among Us will never be able to compete with. Fucking Fortnite. Like they have, uh, I don't know, again, it's like Ariana Grande, that was Fortnite, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I believe, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah. So it's like, you know, like the type of deals that they're doing are not in the same even like space or area. And to go ahead and do this Among Us thing, it's just, I don't know. Like if I was a Fortnite player, which I'm not, I would be kind of like, this is bullshit. This is hurting the gaming industry. I'm going to not play Fortnite for a little bit to send my message thing. But it's like, I don't even play, so they don't give a shit that I, I'm not a fan of this new, new version. I don't know. It's just like, th- there, there is, I think, no solution to this other than saying that what Fortnite is doing is shitty. But yeah, they can get away with it. Like, there's nothing illegal with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, doing something legally right
0: is not the same as doing something morally right. No. For sure. Uh, for you, Diego. Do you feel do you agree that this was kind of a, a quick rip off job, like uh, Rodrigo was saying? Or are you so excited to play imposters with Ariana Grande and Batman and Kratos that you're you're <laughs> just too excited to be upset with this news?
2: Um. Yeah, I mean. It's it doesn't upset me as much as uh, some other news that we talked about today, to be honest, but it is. That's it the latest <laughs> news story we've had so far. Yeah, here. I know it's but like it is sad to see that Fortnite is like just showing how fucking lazy they are they don't even want to try they don't even want to try they're like i'm going to rip <laughs> the off maps like gorgeous. among us they they just said we're going to rip off among us and it's going to do well because among us does well that's their that's how that's what they did with pubg when they sh- first started to show up on the scene and they're just you know basically going to do the same thing now but with among us the one thing i will say though that among us is very popular and it's popular not just amongst like, you know, in like hardcore gamers, but also with casual gamers. And I can tell you that casual gamers are not going to download Fortnite in order to play this imposter's mode. They are still going to play Among Us because they can play it on their phone. And the essence of that game is that it's it's simple. You, you know, you like you just go do the tasks and you kill like uh, the other crew members if you're the imposter and so on. Like there it's it's crazy to think that like, oh, this this game is like a shooter game, but now it has a mode where shooting isn't even the priority at all. It's what you're mm-hmm. doing is we're just completely changing it. Right. It's like a completely different game within that game universe. That's all they're doing. And it's lazy as hell. Um, it, it's kind of like the rebuttal that um, the developers. I can't remember who makes Among Us. I think it's um, Inner, Inner Sloth. I think it's called. I think it's like company. So. yeah. That so yeah, they they were tweeting out something about how they didn't patent the Among Us mechanic because it hurts the industry. It's like that. I do I do see their point there, but it's also it's sad to see that that's all they could do. You know, mm-hmm. all they could do there. There's real no legal repercussions that they could like you know follow to to try to take Fortnite down because. You know, for they obviously, as I said, like these big big companies, whenever they can take advantage, they'll do it. You know, there's nothing regulating them. You know, they'll just go ahead and take advantage of whatever situation they can. And I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it does. I I think the I enjoyed playing Among Us back when it came out. I think it was really popular back then. But hey, maybe this ends up being kind of like Pokemon Go. Like you, when Pokemon Go came out, everybody was out on the streets catching Pokemon. Now yeah. it's died down quite a bit. I think... The imposter genre might be dying down. And I, I think it might also be Fortnite, the one to blame for if this imposter genre just completely dies out. So there you go. I guess Fortnite is just going to come out looking like a villain out of this one. I don't think they're going to gain gamers from this, to be honest. Yeah,
1: no, I think what is it? You, you die a hero or live long enough to be a villain, be a villain. You live long yeah. enough to be yeah. an imposter, I guess. yeah.
0: yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will say to the to the patenting thing, like it's kind of like a League of Legends and Dota. It's like sometimes the being able to create a similar game to another kind of enhances the thing, but it's like it's how I feel about say stand-up comics making jokes. It's one thing to punch up, and it's one thing to punch down, right? Like yeah. Fortnite and Inner Among Us are not really in the same way. Like, no, like no. what? Did, like what could their goal? be with this move if not to obliterate their comp their competition and be the only imposter game right like so i don't know it's like the the laziest thing like you said it's just it's super annoying but really i guess there's nothing that you can do right like really Mm -hmm. anyone can come out and do that i I guess like i would say call to action for people if you're playing a game go load up that 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 among us that you haven't visited in the last year (laughs) of pandemic check out that new map, give them some, you know, like I I bought Among Us on the Switch, so they have my hard-earned money. But it's like you can play it for free on your phone and stuff, so just go check them out. Do that for them. Go visit
0: that old friend. uh, The way you were talking about how they're kind of using it to kill, it reminded me of a video I saw on Crystal Pepsi where it was gaining a lot of popularity. So what Coke did was they had Tab Cola, which they also owned, and they made a clear Tab, and they said it was sugar-free, It was caffeine free. It was basically entirely flavor free. And they knew that it sucked, but they (laughs) exactly. But they put it on. They sold it because they knew that it would be stocked beside Crystal Pepsi and people Mm. would then see the sugar free, calorie free pit or uh, tab, and they would equate it to the Crystal Pepsi as well. and think, oh, so I guess these are like all these clear sodas are all just this shitty kind. So Coke Mm. literally made a shitty cola just to kill Crystal Pepsi. (laughs) So we'll see. Hopefully this doesn't kill Among Us. Everyone uh, boot up your local copy of Among Us. Mm -hmm. And uh, lie to your friends. Lie to your friends today. (laughs) Quick bites that we have, ladies and gentlemen. Before we get to that. Before we get to those.
1: Yes, yes, no. Do you feel like you're a good liar in Among Us?
0: Absolutely not. People are like, Jordan, were you not in that room? And I was like, the engineering? (laughs) I don't, where is engineering? I don't even know where engineering is. Is that on this map? (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, this is the worst lie anyone has ever told. Just kill someone in front of everybody that yeah. of nerves. What about you, Diego?
1: Good liar, bad liar in Among Us? Um, No, I don't think I'm that good in Among
2: Us. I think I also suffer from the same thing as Jordan, that I haven't played the game enough to know. I was like, oh, I was in the cafeteria. He's like, no, you weren't. You were beside me. I was like, oh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: shit. <laughs> then I got caught. Like, yeah, no, I had no so idea. So, yeah, I would say. I think I'm not, I would say great. Not, I'm not great at it.
1: I think I'm a, a good liar. I'm a bad killer. Like, I can't, like, I've seen people, like, jump out of a vent, kill someone, jump back into the vent. Oh, I, like, I don't have those I'm skills. I'm good at that. like, That's the one yeah. thing I'm good at. <laughs> like, I, the I line I can events. handle, but it's like, I've been imposter a couple of times where it takes me so long to decide to kill someone <laughs> that it's just like, people are, like, angry in the chat being like, is this imposter going to fucking kill someone? <laughs> and it's just like, I'm too, like, I can't find the right time. So it's like, that's the struggle <laughs> for me.
0: Well, everyone, uh, practice your lying, get a little bit better at lying (laughs) to your friends while I discuss these quick bites of news. So it's been reported that Rockstar is planning on making a Red Dead Redemption remaster, but on the condition that the GTA remasters sell very well. So for the love of God, everyone fucking buy the GTA remasters (laughs) because I need this Red Dead Redemption remaster. I'm sure it'll happen. I'm I would imagine so. It's all it's weird though because like they they put the whole Red Dead map in Red Dead 2 but it's it's only for like multiplayer stuff. I don't know why they didn't just put it as DLC into that game. But that's a discussion for another time. The
1: remasters are starting to come as fast as like the movie remakes where it's like a movie mm-hmm. goes to Blu-ray and then they're already talking about like the remake of of it to go back into theater. Yeah. Like it's a little
0: too fast. It's like this game isn't even out on Blu-ray yet and it's already been <laughs> pre-production for the the remake. Uh, So in what's an ongoing segment at this point, Ubisoft Singapore, makers of Skull and Bones, are being investigated due to claims of sexual harassment and workplace discrimination. So I take back my quick bite a few weeks ago when I was I felt bad about the French ceiling that they were facing. And instead, I hope that they eat shit and become better human beings because that (laughs) is fucking stuff. Good news for everyone who wanted to play Skyrim like Diego, but didn't own literally any console since the PS3 because (laughs) it's coming to PS5 and the Xbox Series X and S this November. What's actually kind of interesting is that it is coming to the PS5 considering they are now owned by Microsoft. But I guess it would go against what they believe in if putting Skyrim on literally everything that exists if they didn't put it on the PS5. So good for them. Speaking of the PS5, there is a revised PS5 model that has quietly gone on sale. The only noted difference being is that it's very marginally lighter and it uses a different screw if you want to put it in the upright stand. Uh, I don't know why this change was necessary. However, it has been confirmed you also won't be able to get this PS5 either. Twitch streamers are also boycotting the site on September the 1st to protest hate raids. So hate raids are essentially when a bunch of... uh, Boys with small dicks spam a comment section en masse at the same time of a tri- Twitch streamer, and they generally all just say very hateful shit towards them. So this protest is to try and bring awareness to Twitch so that they can actually take better measures to prevent this. Uh, don't be like me and cross the picket line with Pokemon Go because you didn't know the date that people were actually protesting this. It's going to be September the 1st, and it's actually a real thing to protest. So nobody go on Twitch on September 1st. Activision's name is conspicuously absent from marketing on the new Call of Duty game they're making. Uh, I'm sure it's an oversight. I can't think of any reason why Activision is not being mentioned on their very popular video game right now. So the two quick bite news that are good, that we manifested, everyone. Pokemon Go has reverted on their decision on the distance for where you can spin Pokestops. You can now, (laughs) once again, spin them from 80 meters away. Congratulations, everyone. We did it. But more, more importantly, what we also did Was that within a one-week period, someone has remade The Simpsons' hit-and-run. I'm sure is because of this podcast. We Mm -hmm. manifested it. The moral of the story is, everyone, manifest the things that you want. Put them on our sub and remaster segment. And the video game gods will provide. Mm -hmm. You can't play it because it's just a man who made it himself. But eventually, someone will make that playable. And they will provide it to you. I love that it was just one guy. It took three of us to will (laughs) it into existence. And one man did it alone. It took three of us to just talk about Thought wanting about it, it, and yes. it took one man to just actually <laughs> make it. Another thing that we all together have made that we are willing into existence are these words from our sponsors.
2: Your podcast is in another castle. Is possible thanks to the support of our good friends at Ola Translation. The Hispanic Ontario Language Agency, or OLA, is a translation agency based in Ontario, founded by four Hispanic Canadians who want nothing else but to help people around the world to communicate in their favorite language, Spanish. Head over to olatranslation.org and use code CASEL for an exclusive discount only available to our listener. Say goodbye to Google Translate and say OLA to OLA Translation.
0: and we have returned welcome back everyone thanks for staying with us for you a little treat for staying with us we're going to give you something a little hot something a little fresh these are the new video games coming out this week that we find interesting and we want to play so this week i'm going to start because i want to play psychonauts 2. it's a third person platform game it's similar in gameplay to its predecessor if anyone has played that one player controls a little character called Raz. He's a newly graduated psychonaut with powerful psychic abilities, and he de- delves into the mind of others. The player uses psi powers such as telekinesis, pyrokinesis, and levitation. It's it's very, very cool. It's very, very inventive. It's very funny. It's from uh, Tim Schafer, who previously made all of the LucasArts games that you love. He then went to Double Fine. It's a fantastic game. I was a little upset because... The double fine was bought by Microsoft, so I thought I wouldn't play it. But this game is going to be on the PS4, which means I'm going to be able to play it on the PS5. So maybe it was a prior publishing deal. I don't care the reason why. Psychonauts 2 coming out this week. Everybody give it a play. Diego, I will turn to you. I need something else hot. I need something else fresh. What are we munching on this week?
2: All right. So this week we'll be munching on No More Heroes 3. That's finally going to be releasing on uh, the Switch. After a long time, so No More Heroes 3 is a sequel to No More Heroes 1 and 2 that was released years ago on the Wii. Um, I believe No More Heroes 2 was released approximately 12 years ago now. And this game, No More Heroes 3, was announced as far back as when the Switch was announced. And the reason they announced it is because 1 and 2 were very well-reviewed Wii-exclusive games that were developed by Grasshopper Manufacture and it is an action adventure hack and slash game that uses the Wii motion controls almost as well as Skyward Sword does and the the game's vibe is very much like a Platinum Games hack and slash. The lead character is Travis Touchdown who is very similar in uh, uh very similar to Dante from Devil May Cry as far as attitude but his design is inspired by Johnny Knoxville from Jackass fame.
0: So if, inspires us all.
2: Yes. So, if you're looking for an excellent hack and slash uh, with an over the top story, and anime vibe, uh, look out for Normal Heroes 3 coming out on August 27th. Perfect.
0: Everyone enjoy these games, which are sequels to games that came out a very long time ago and are finally released. Finally. Everyone, be excited for these games. <laughs> Something else to be excited for is our next segment, the sub and remaster. This is where one person on the podcast brings to us a video game that they would like remade. The other two of us will decide whether it is subbed, taken off, it is not to be remade, or remastered, which means we're going to give it all of the metaphorical money we may or may not have. And then we're probably going to demand DLC because that's usually what happens in the segment anyway. <laughs> that's how. It Rodrigo, goes. exactly. Rodrigo, tell me how it goes. Tell me what you would like remastered this week.
1: So um, when I was thinking of like what I want from this opportunity to present uh, a game to, to my fellow, I guess, co-host with the big pockets and uh, an infinite, I guess, amount of money to throw at.
0: The, a 50-50 revenue split after 24,000 copies. That's damn, that's the <laughs> <an> exploited, exploited <laughs> nature of, of these contracts. That's okay. what I learned, that's what we got to do.
1: And I was thinking like, what type of game have I not been playing recently that I really wanted to play? And the answer to that was RTS, real-time strategy. Um, if you know me, I'm a big fan of RTS games. I love Age of Empires. I was big into uh, the Command and Conquer series, specifically like the mid '90s Red Alert one. That was uh, you know, like you could get like it's like a war game, and you can build soldiers and so on. You can also build like little kennels to create war dogs, which is sad, but again, like kind of adorable. (laughs) kind of adorable and the way that i I enjoy playing games the the rts specifically is that i like um teaming up with somebody that will deal with our enemies while i just build every unit available so ultimately the dogs didn't die as often as they could have i guess in other uh in other ways to play this game but specifically one one rts game that i enjoyed playing in the past uh is Galactic Battlegrounds. Uh, this is uh, an, a Star Wars based RTS that had that came, I guess, right around like the episodes uh, one, two, three of the Star Wars, like th- that era. And so, like you could do a lot of like the the old classic um like uh, New Hope type era campaigns. But there was also like gun guns and like the Trade Federation and like uh, you know the it, for the the other stuff, there was like you know Yavin and like all these other planets. But I was thinking that you know like we've now had a new trilogy, like we've had episodes uh, seven, eight, and nine, and we haven't really revisited in the same way all these classic Star Wars games. You know we've we've had Star Wars Lego and you know some other kind of uh, games that have taken their own path, like the one with the the redhead kid from Shameless. But it's like I think it's time for us to revisit like the, the Star Wars RTS franchise, and to be honest, uh, the, the the Galactic Battleground game that I'm thinking of was not super great. There was later in I think like the maybe was 2006 ish. There was one called Empire at War that I think was like more positively received than the one that I played. But I think there's like a new opportunity for us to use you know, like the, all the good ideas that we've had in the last 15 years and create a new RTS that explores these like brilliant, beautiful worlds that exist in a galaxy far, far away, you know, a long time ago. So yeah, that's my, my pitch. I think we should, we should bring back a new Star Wars RTS. I I, I want to see all these new worlds that we've explored in the trilogy. Like you can finally make sense of that casino world. You can probably create cute little aliens. Like, come on, there's cool shit to do.
0: I don't, want to immediately ask about loot boxes because the last time the loot boxes and star wars were discussed in the same game that game absolutely plummeted and they had to entirely <laughs> change how they made star wars games i do i do think it would do well i think they're on a little bit of a roll now with the uh, jedi order and with squadrons that came out my mm-hmm. only question is can we expand upon these dogs that get saved and then have them as a bigger part of the game how can we incorporate more dogs in star wars um, I don't know about dogs, but we can find cute aliens. Like, yeah, uh,
1: there was this standout character in the new trilogy called Babu Freak. We need to bring him into more <laughs> games. Like, I, I don't know what his alien species is, but I think we could somehow do that. Like, they can be just units that you can create, like tiny little Babu Freaks so that you can send into war. Like, maybe the shouting out Babu them. Freak. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like that. All that them? could be oh something. Yeah, <laughs> all of them just yell that out when they go fight. Awesome. I don't know. There's cute animals, there's cute aliens
2: to create in Star Wars. So that means by what I'm getting by what you're saying, that we're going to have
1: a, a faction of just Ewoks as well, right? Oh, They're going to be 100%. like their own team. Nice. You know my relationship with the Ewoks. <laughs> like if there's if there's one moment that makes me feel sad in a cinematic universe, it is that moment when that Ewok, like the, there's two Ewoks, and they get hit with like a bomb thing, and the Ewok stands off, dusts himself off, and he's like, buddy, come on, let's go. And then he's about to go, and then he turns around, and the buddy's not getting up. Oh, so he man. goes and like, he shakes them. <laughs> To see if we can get it going, and you know, like, <laughs> we times. A trigger times for that during moment. Star Wars. <laughs> Shit, you weren't expecting that in Star Wars. It's yeah. true. It's true. So, yeah, for sure. One hundred percent. The Ewoks have to be there. Awesome. I'm down then. Let's do it. <laughs> As always, my bottomless pockets
0: are your, are at your <laughs>
1: disposal for
0: games. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I was. I'm trying to, like, we need to be more discriminating on this segment to have someone (laughs) at least say no. But every time I'm like, I'm not interested. And then by the end, I'm sold. I'm down with these Babu Freaks. I'm down with these Ewoks. Let's do some RTS in these Star Wars games. Let's do it. So while the Ewok may have been the most emotional moment in cinema, it does Mm -hmm. bring us to our final segment, which is the final boss. It is where... We answer one of the burning video game questions that you would like to bring us. You can also give us your questions on another Castle CA on all of your favorite socials. This week, tying into the emotional Ewoks, we must ask ourselves and tell everyone on this podcast, what was your most emotional gaming moment? Diego, I'm going to start with you. Your most emotional gaming moment. So
2: the other day I was watching a Final Fantasy retrospective on YouTube. And they had a line in the retrospective. It went something like this. At GDC in 2004, Steven Spielberg said, I think the real indicator that games have become a storytelling art form will be when somebody confesses that they cried at level 17. He never played Final Fantasy VII. So that was a line that they had in this retrospective. And uh, I really enjoy that one because it's very true from video games. I feel like that what they're referencing, that moment that they're referencing in gaming history is almost as important and as relevant as, you know, revealing Darth Vader was Luke's father in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. So I've gone back and forth between uh, Final Fantasy and Legend of Zelda, and I've had countless emotional moments, and it's hard to narrow down which one affected me the most. But today, I think I'm going to talk about an emotional moment that I had while playing a Mario game. So,
0: most <laughs> emotional of all the franchises you could have. Exactly.
2: Mentioned. Yeah. I'm sure you're thinking, how could Mario, uh, how could a Mario game have an emotional moment if the game story when, is just defeat Bowser and rescue the princess?
1: Well, is it when you find out that the princess is in another castle? Thank yeah, you. beat me to it. It's the emotional <laughs> part.
2: No, but I was saying that if you don't believe that there could be an emotional moment in Mario, it's because you've never played Super Mario Galaxy. The emotional moment for me in Mario Galaxy. um, The story starts off basically as any Mario game like starts off, that like Princess Peach's entire castle gets levitated and and uh, stolen by a UFO, (laughs) while Mario is sucked into the vacuum of space. Typical Mario, right? Anyways, in your quest to rescue Princess Peach, you encounter Rosalina and her Lumas. So Rosalina is kind of like a galactic Princess Peach. And the Lumas are star sprites that she treats as her children. As you rescue her Lumas in the game, you go level by level, start rescuing these stars. As you rescue them, she starts collecting them in her library where she sits. And she reads uh, chapters from her book to them as a bedtime story. And you quickly realize as you listen to the story that the story is about her. So the story kind of starts off saying like it tells how this little girl found a rusted spaceship holding a small star child and she asks the small star child what's your name and uh, are you lost? And the star child responds while crying like I'm Luma and I'm waiting for my mama she's coming for me on a comet and Rosalina tells Luma don't worry I'll wait with you and so they embark on this quest to find this Luma's mother first mm-hmm. they start off on their own planet she's using her telescope to see outward toward space and see if they can find uh, the star Sprite's mother. But nothing. And they decide, you know what? It's going to take forever. Let's go to space. And as they're traveling and exploring the many galaxies, Rosalina starts to feel uh, very homesick. So once again, she pulls out her telescope and tries to look back towards her home planet. And as she does, she's able to see like this park where she used to play as a little kid with her brother. And, uh, and she also sees this tree. And at the moment when she sees the tree, she starts to cry, right? And she starts and says, like, I want to go home. I miss my home and I miss my mama. Because Rosalina herself is also a child in the story, right? Mm -hmm. And as you see the tree, like the music stops. And then the next line you read is, but even if I go home, I won't be able to see my mama because she's buried under that tree. And I was like, what the hell? So this story (laughs) (laughs) that is being presented like a children's book accompanied mm-hmm. by the most amazing soundtrack takes such a heavy turn from it being like an adventure to find Luma's mother to you realizing that Rosalina herself was in search of her mother and her search like has come to an end because she came to that realization that her mother was once and for all gone. And it's such, it was such a heavy thing to feel from like a Mario game. It was like, I was like intense. Yeah. And what, as I said, it's like accompanied by the most amazing soundtrack and like, I'm telling you, if you, you guys got to see, like, it's presented to you like a children's storybook. And all you have to do is just look up this video on YouTube. And I feel like you're going to have an emotional moment without even having to play the game. Right. So in, in the end, like the Lumas console her and say something like your mother is always a part of you and she's she's always going to be with you. And, and like they decide to, you know, just live with Rosalina as she floats around space, being the galactic princess that she is eventually helping Mario to rescue Princess Peach. But yeah, that was like such an impactful moment that I didn't expect because I was playing Mario. I was usually Mario's like the casual affair of games, right? I was yeah, expecting yeah, this go there, this kind go of things that don't need trigger warning. Yeah, this is like the kind of thing that you would expect from Zelda. So mm-hmm. and yeah, it was like it was great. It was like I was so surprised by it. And I was so I fell so in love with that game afterwards. I was like, this is never not what I expected from a Mario game at all. So. If anybody ever has a chance to play Mario Galaxy, do it because it's an amazing game, perhaps the best of the Mario games. If you don't have the time to do that, just go on YouTube and look up Super Mario Galaxy Rosalina Storybook just to see if you can yeah, see if you can uh, hold those tears in, because I, I think you're going to have a hard time
0: doing so. I'm not going to watch that, but I already <laughs> felt emotional just hearing you describe it. But also, my biggest takeaway is, holy shit, that is a very powerful telescope. That she's is. able to see it's, like a yes. tree on another planet. Mm-hmm. My god, <laughs> very uh,
1: the little prince vibes of yes, yeah. and the book does look like the little prince too. The illustration,
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Well, Rodrigo, I'm feeling great after that story. Tell mm-hmm. us now, give us uh, your most emotional gaming moment, and please do remember that uh, feeling good is also an emotion as well.
1: Mine comes from this game where you start off with a puppy. And then the oh my game. God. Been, no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, actually, the I'm going to say it's most emotional, but it didn't specifically make me cry. I just felt like a strong emotional reaction to elements in this game. And I'm going to go with Ocarina of Time, which is one of the best Legend of Zelda games there. It's also, I think, like what one of the first games that I approached as kind of transitioning from like a young boy into like still like. A child but, like, you know, like a little bit more serious, like a little bit older playing more serious games, and an element of storytelling that I've always enjoyed is characters coming together, so like very like the Avengers now, I guess, kind of thing, even though I would not say that Avengers is like my favorite example of that, but something like the Thundercats or the Herculoids, where it's kind of like people that are different that come together with one single objective that they they want to do and in cases, again, spoilers for this. I don't know how old, like twenty year old game or like thirty year old, <laughs> old game or whatever. <laughs> we'll we'll like hold that. Yeah. So it Ocarina of time. It's set in two times. One first as you're a child and you're trying to help like a young Princess Zelda find out what's happening with this mysterious man Ganondorf that's come into uh her her land, and you meet a variety of characters. You meet like the Goron leader Darunia. You 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 meet like your um. Oh my god, I'm forgetting. What is the name of uh, the, the little fairy kid children? Kokiri. The, the Kokiri girl, Saria, that is, that is your friend. You know, the, the like, uh, Princess Rudo. that is one of the Zoras. And so you meet a variety of characters. And then when you travel forward in time, as the land has changed, you kind of reunite with these characters that you had already kind of some emotional moments with. And one by one, as you complete a variety of temples, you they start awakening as sages of something specific. Like Saria, uh, who is your friend, awakens as like the sage of the forest. Rauru, who is the person that welcomes you into like the future as you travel, is kind of the, the sage of light. Darunia becomes the sage of fire. Princess Ruto is the sage of water. Uh, Impa, who's been helping you through, throughout this time, becomes the sage of shadow. And so, like all these people that are important to you in this game, end up having a more meaningful impact to the story because all together, like the the sages, they end up sealing Ganondorf away into, uh, I guess I don't know, wherever, whatever realm they they trap him in at the end. But it's just. There are moments in it as you kind of like there's a certain melancholy of them kind of embracing this role. Like it seems like they're they're happy to be able to provide you assistance, but almost kind of accepting that they are no longer part of like the regular Hyrule world as they do that um, as the game ends and the the Princess Zelda I guess, kind of offers you your life back and sending you back in time. Like you see them all together kind of observing the end, right? And it always like that that scene, and it's funny because I revisit it now on YouTube and like the graphics being what they are and the <laughs> moment being so incredibly fast that it doesn't have the impact that it did when, when I first played it. But I remember when I first did, it had like a very strong emotional impact. I remember later on in life, as I was thinking about like how I enjoy this, I was like, let me do a quick Google see what people are saying about the sages if they have that same same feeling about me um there are theories that the sages are deceased which is like one of the most (laughs) fucked up things (laughs) like because there's a point there's a point where like uh, you go revisit again it's like if you don't know link starts off in the kokiri forest he's the only boy that, that the kokiri boy that doesn't have a fairy and that is because he's not truly a kokiri boy right he's uh like a hillian who got like left there in the forest because he had a more important mission to fulfill and the, the Great Deku Tree kind of just raised them there. Anyways, there's another boy that lives here that's called uh, Mido, I think, who's kind of like your little nemesis or annoying. Anyways, he mentions how Saria is never coming back. And so, like, there's this whole theory about how, like, Saria, like, all these Darunia was defeated by Volvagia, which is a dragon. Ruto admitting that she cannot marry Link anymore because she cannot return. It's the, They're saying that it's kind of like all these sages basically just died. And oh, so, shit. like, their spirits are the ones that are helping you. And it's kind of like you, like I said, like when you encounter them one by one, it's like this melancholy that you feel, but at the same time, kind of like this, this happiness about them being part of your your journey as you kind of go and, you know, save the land. And so that always was like super like emotional for me. I remember the first time that I played it, like not tearing up it, it didn't make me cry, but just feeling like, you know, it really felt like all of the friends that I, that I made along the way were coming with me to stand behind me so that I could go and defeat Ganondorf. And, yeah, you know, like if that isn't great storytelling, that isn't great video game design,
0: video game narrative, like what is really right? Mm-hmm. I do like that you then went to look up to see if other people had an emotional experience like <laughs> you did and then found out it was actually five times as sad as you yes. thought it actually should have been.
1: <laughs> uh-huh.
0: uh, well, lovely. Well, I'm going to keep bringing us down because <laughs> really. uh, I didn't have a happy emotional memory. There were two games that I remember crying at. And one of them I felt silly crying at because it was heavy rain. And that game is very melodramatic and didn't deserve my tears. But at the end of the game, they get that house. The kid's all safe. And it made me sad. It it gave me, like, happy tears. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to talk about a game that gave me sad tears. Which is a game called Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. So this is a game that was made by the same guys who made It Takes Two and A Way Out. And this game... I would describe it as like single-player co-op, because there's two brothers that you, the titular two brothers that you play as, and at the so the way the game works is like you're controlling one brother with the right stick and one brother with the left stick. So it's really just fucking with your brain the whole time, and they have to both be on the right end or the left, otherwise your brain just doesn't make any sense of it. But so the game starts with the younger brother on a boat with his mother, and she drowns because she falls in and this little kid can't go in and save her. So that's a great way to start. Mm-hmm. But then the game goes on and now your dad is sick and you and your brother have to get this medicine from this like faraway land. This is kind of like a, like a Middle Earth type setting kind of a thing. And so you and your brother have to do this whole adventure where you go and get this medicine for him. Uh, there's a lot of sections of water and the little brother can't swim because he's so traumatized by watching his mother die and the fact that he couldn't swim. So whenever there's a water section, you press the action button and the bigger brother swims and the little brother gets on his back. And that's how you get across. Cut to near the end of the game. You finally get the medicine. You're on your way back and the big brother dies. Oh, sorry. I sp- <laughs> Spoilers for this game.
2: <laughs> I, people should so, know by now. People should. Yeah, know.
0: at this point, I'm spoiling the hell out of this game. <laughs> so your big brother dies. And if that's not bad enough, the game literally makes you, like, pour dirt onto his body that you've buried in this tree so far from home. (laughs) You get the medicine. You're now by yourself. You're then at the same creek where your mother died, and you have to cross it in order to get home to your dad. But you can't swim as a little brother. So what I did was I pressed the other brother's action button. And when you press the other brother's action button, then the little brother gets the courage to then swim across and get to his dad. And that was what broke me. This oh. little kid who can't swim because of this trauma, then this like his brother's essence essentially got him over this so that he could bring the medicine to his dad. Mm-hmm. And then the game ends, and the dad's healthy, and they put up a second tombstone beside the mother's tombstone for the older brother, and the dad's on his knees and crying, and then it just says brothers. A tale of two sons. Damn. So that game was borderline emotionally manipulative. Mm-hmm. But... It felt very like
1: as you're describing it, it felt very grave of the fireflies. I don't know if you've had the chance to see that uh that beautiful movie, but uh, it's like it, it I mean, spoiler alert for again for this almost like 40-year-old movie, but it ends with um like they're they're kind of surviving like the after effects of a war, and he basically is trying to find because they're starving, like they they're like incredibly poor, and trying to find food, and as he finally is able to get food and return with food and prepares it like his sister just dies, and, and then it's just, like, fucked up. Like, it, it's 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 a very difficult thing to process, I think, like, when they start, like... It, you know, you have the strong connection to these characters, and then one of them, like, dies. It's just, I don't know. Like, I I do agree that these kind of things have
0: hit me pretty hard. Well, on that note, <laughs> we're going to end this podcast before <laughs> any of us start <laughs> crying. I feel like this was probably it was a good discussion question terrible question mm-hmm. to end the podcast with mm-hmm. so follow us on all the socials at another castle ca let us know what was your most emotional gaming moment and did it derail what was previously a very happy podcast that was happening before
1: i mean am i wrong in thinking that the last of us is very emotional i feel like i've it seen is. people comment about that one yeah it's very emotional yeah
0: Especially this, there's a very emotional moment in the second one that is unfortunately Oh, spoilers, overseen. I think Diego has not played I mean, I'm not going to say it <laughs> That's There's too, a very emotional too moment recent. too recent, <laughs> too recent Yeah <laughs> There's a very emotional moment in that game that people found out because the script was leaked mm-hmm. So people oh, were what a way, like
1: What a way to ruin it yeah. yeah,
0: but people were mad at the moment because they didn't have the context of the whole game leading up to it So, I mean, I don't know Play The Last of Us 2 Fuel all the emotions because that game is real good and will make you feel real emotional. Thank you for joining us, everyone. You have made us feel very emotional. The emotion of joy and sometimes sadness if you leave us bad reviews on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Tune in next week. We're going to be discussing Gamescom. This is the first time I can discuss what's going to happen next week because we didn't get to talk about Gamescom this week. So next week, tune in. We'll talk about all the Gamecoms gamescoms you want will also mispronounce gamescom so don't worry about that i'll take care of that (laughs) but the most important thing to remember it's dangerous to go alone So take this podcast with you